Well, go ahead and grab your Bible. Uh, You can open up to the book of Acts. We're continuing on in our series. Uh, We're going to be in the second half of Acts chapter 17 this morning. Um, If you're just joining us and uh, um, new to uh, uh, City on a Hill, we are in a series um, walking through the story of how the church began. Um, and uh, really, it is um, incredible uh, to look at and think about. Um, we've said this kind of many times before, but how uh, such a small group of uh, untrained, uneducated, um, in some ways unprepared, although they had spent many years with Jesus, so there was some real preparation going on. Um, so there was preparation, but still you know, not, I think, knowing exactly what was ahead. Um, really, the, uh, the entire uh, region and eventually uh, the, the world uh, was impacted by this small group of men and women being faithful to the call that was placed on them. And so what we're seeing as we're walking through this is the unstoppable works of not just men, not just women, but ultimately the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit has been leading and moving and working, and we've seen the way that the Holy Spirit has worked um, throughout um, our study so far in Acts. And this morning, we're continuing on, and um, just to kind of catch us up, uh, Paul has been on a missionary journey, kind of going through uh, different cities. Um, He uh, went to um, the area of Macedonia after being led by the Holy Spirit to go there. And so he's now visited Philippi, he's uh, visited Thessalonica, and then Berea. Today, he's making his way to and arrives in Athens. That's kind of where we um, left off uh, last week. It says, those who conducted Paul... uh, brought him as far as Athens after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. And so Paul has gone ahead and he's in the city of Athens and he is waiting for um, the uh, uh, his you know, co-workers, his, his kind of counterparts in the, in the mystery journey, his uh, Silas and Timothy to come with him. And what we're going to see is uh, Athens um, is, I don't know how much you know about Athens, but it was uh, very much the center of a lot of uh, temple worship, idol worship. It was a very prominent um, city. Even Rome was now the capital uh, in, in the um, Greco-Roman world, but Athens still held a place of prominence in terms of um, education, in terms of um, uh, religious uh, views and and kind of viewpoints. It was a a major place of commerce, and so it was a very important city. I'm sure Athens was on uh, sort of the checklist for Paul. He's like, I got to get to Athens. And so um, we're arriving here in Athens uh, with him. And and what we're going to see is um, is that in, 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 in trying to reach the city, and share the gospel in this brand new place, um, what he discovers is that there was a lot of religious views, um, but he was compelled and and broken over the state of the people and wanted to share the hope of Jesus with them. And so we're calling, uh, my my, uh, title for this morning is um, The Unknown Made Known. The Unknown Made Known. And... um, uh, what he is sharing with them is something that he sees that they are searching for but have not yet found. 
um, uh, to quote um, a modern-day philosopher, right? Uh, they still haven't found what they're looking for is, um, is, uh, is, is what is going on here. And so um, I, without kind of getting too far into the story, let me just pray, and then I just want to walk our way through the beginning part of, of the story, um, and, and we're going to see what happens with Paul uh, there in Athens. Can I just uh, pray as we continue? God, thank you for your word. And uh, God, the direction, the instruction, um, God, oftentimes the uh, challenge that it is uh, for us. And uh, Lord, you've given us your word that you would lead us and uh, that we would be guided by it. And so we want to hear from you as we study it now. And so God, I just pray for your leading, your direction um, as we... um, as we study it together, uh, God, would you um, teach us, we ask, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let me just read the first part of this passage, and then as we like to do around here, uh, we uh, open up God's word, we walk through it, and learn from it. And so uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. Verse 16 in chapter 17 of Acts, it says this, Now while Paul uh, was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and as he saw that the city was full of idols... So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Uh, Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And then we have a little commentary from uh, Luke here. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. All right, so they're like for it. They're, they're, they're ready to hear what it is uh, that Paul has. Their ears have been pricked. They're um, uh, uh, kind of curious what this new teaching is. And so they're inviting, um, they're inviting Paul um, to share. Now, here's the first thing that I think we need to see as we um, understand what Paul was doing as he goes into this foreign city and he's trying to share the hope of the gospel. Uh, we see it right there at the beginning, verse 16, when Paul was waiting for them in Athens. So we just said, He's waiting for Silas and Timothy to join him there. He's waiting, and it seems to be that he was like, the plan was, hey, I'll go ahead and sort of check it out, and then when you get there, we'll begin to preach. Well, Paul, um, you get a little uh, insight into his personality, right? He's like, I'm not waiting for them. Um, it's, time, it's go time. Like we, this needs, and, and he says here, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was full of idols. And Paul, uh, we'll just kind of call it this, he was provoked to action. Uh, Paul was provoked to action. He could not sit by and wait when he saw the great need around him. Uh, What was the need? What was um, happening here? Well, you see, it was a little unique from his typical thing. He, it says he went to the Jews. He would often go to the synagogue and speak with the Jews, open up scripture. There was devout persons. That's kind of um, the, the, the term the uh, scriptures used to talk about um, Greek uh, people who were there at the synagogue or kind of had um, interest or kind of involvement in uh, the Jewish um, uh, scriptures and the Jewish um, uh, following of God, but, but here, it wasn't just that. Notice where else he goes, into the marketplace. 
every day with those who happened to be there. Now, um, I don't know what your uh, sort of picture is when you um, think about the marketplace. A lot of times we will use um, the uh, word marketplace to you know, kind of describe some sort of shopping center or um, place of shopping. And certainly there was that, but it was so much more than that for them. I mean, think about it. Uh, they uh, did not have TVs at home. Um, they weren't getting a paper uh, delivered to their door. I don't know if anyone else is still getting the paper. I'm not making fun of you if you are, just to be clear. Um, but I don't know of how many papers are being delivered to the door. But for a long time, right, that was the way that the news was delivered. Uh, now we have these devices and we're able to kind of get the news that that way, or we turn on our TVs in the evening and, and probably turn them off shortly after because we don't want to um, hear like what's going on. But there was news that was shared and given at the marketplace. And so if you wanted to be in the know on what was happening, you would go down to the marketplace and news was exchanged. Um, also, uh, it was a place where um, art was uh, demonstrated and there were shows that were done and, and performers or other people would, would go and, and, and do that. They would share ideas. So that's kind of what Paul is engaging in here. It was the place of of philosophies and debate. And um, it was actually at a time when they would do this crazy thing where they would converse about differing views. And they would listen to the other person and then they would interact with their views and then they would share their views back. And um, people used to do that. Um, they didn't just sort of like talk at each other and sort of, you know, not, <laughs> now they would actually interact. And so that was kind of happening all over the place down at the marketplace. So when you hear marketplace, don't just think shopping, think ideas, information, news, art, all of it sort of being exchanged. And Paul's like, that's where the action is. That's where I need to be. I'm gonna go and talk about Jesus. And so that's what he was doing. He was going down regularly. It says daily, every day, with those who happen to be there. And so he's just trying to find whoever he could, whoever would lend him an ear. Um, and again, uh, think less um, you know, person on the square with a megaphone, more um, just sort of this is the forum in which this happened, okay? And so there he was, and, and he began to engage with a couple of these um, different sort of schools of philosophy. So you have the Epicurean, and the Stoic philosophers. I'm guessing for most of us, unless you kind of have um, you know, some sort of background in philosophy or something like that, um, you probably don't have at your fingertips a good definition for Epicurean or Stoic philosophy. So I got you covered. Um, let me uh, just share a little bit of what that is. This is kind of, I think, um, what, what Luke is doing here is kind of, it wasn't just those philosophies, but it sort of captured a bit of the spectrum of philosophy that was being held um, by the people. You see, since the beginning of uh, time, since the beginning of people, people have always sought to answer the question, not just like, what is my life, but why is my life, right? That's what philosophy is trying to answer, the, the kind of why question, like, why do I exist? Why am I here? What is this all for? And uh, trying to answer the question of like, why is there pain? Why is there suffering? Why, what is death? All of these things, and so... Um, People have always come up with different sort of approaches to that, and these were two that were kind of present there. The Epicurean um, philosophy was kind of centered, if you want to think of one word, um, kind of on pleasure uh, being the chief goal of life. Not quite to the point of like hedonism, but just like an enjoyable experience. Like life was meant to be filled with pleasure. And so Pleasure is best enjoyed if there is no pain, there's no disturbing passions, there's no superstitious fears, um, and there's no anxiety about death. And so it was just kind of this, this, this kind of like, you know, 
it kind of sounds hippie when you start sort of describing it that way, right? But can we all sort of get along and kind of, you know, just exist in this kind of pleasurable state, right? And, and there was many gods around them. They believed in many, many gods, but they felt that there was no interest that the gods had in mankind. And so the gods existed and they were sort of out there, but they were just sort of doing their thing and men, women were doing theirs. And so this was kind of the, uh, one of the primary schools of thought. And then the other was Stoicism. And maybe, you know, just from the name, you can kind of a um, little less on the fun side, but they would center on living harmoniously with nature, emphasizing man's rational abilities and individual self-sufficiency. And so more of a pantheistic view of God, but God being sort of the world's soul and kind of this, this high view of, of kind of nature and, um, and there was a lot of moralism sort of tied into that as well, um, but just this kind of how do we exist together and so some rules and some um, regulations and these morals and sort of you know, kind of guiding. And that was the way that they were trying to answer some of life's biggest questions. And so Paul sort of steps into this and he begins to share about Jesus Christ. This man that was uh, this Jewish man uh, who um, had, uh, was born in Bethlehem, had uh, grew up in Nazareth and who had died in Jerusalem on a Roman cross. And he begins to sort of share about him and about the resurrection that Jesus had died and then come back to life. And that's when they sort of ask this question, like, what does this babbler wish to say? Now, the word babbler, I don't know if you get as geeked out on words as I do. I love to, like, kind of look at, like, kind of the, the, the traction or kind of the, you know, the progress, the movement of words, right? And so this word first began, and it was used as a bird uh, picking up grain. If you've ever watched or seen, you know, chickens or whatever, and they kind of are, like, you know, pecking and doing their, their thing and, like, kind of grain sort of, like, scattering everywhere. That was the original definition um, for, uh, for, for that. Um, I thought that I would love to have had Pastor Jeff come up and just give his very best impersonation of a chicken doing that, but I, I like him too much, and so I, I won't do that for you, although um, maybe another time we can uh, arrange that. But it, that's where that word began, but then it sort of moved to someone who was um, uh, collecting uh, uh, scrap collector searching for junk, you know, so like, um, kind of like American pickers or something, kind of going around, finding stuff, looking for junk, and then uh, collecting it. Then it sort of moved to this, this understanding of those that used other ideas, others' ideas as their own. So kind of taking, collecting, not junk, but ideas, and then sort of peddling it about. So this is for sure an insult, okay? Um, just so we're, we're, we're on the... Uh, clear on that and on the same page. This is, what does this babbler wish to say? What they're saying about Paul is like, what, what is he going on about, right? Like, what, it, what is this, this piece of junk that he's collected and he's now sort of scattering about and what's he kind of pecking at and all that is kind of tied into uh, this word? Others said, man, this is kind of interesting. He seems to be preaching about a new God, a foreign God that we have not yet heard about. So either way, they brought him to the Oropagus and they wanted uh, to hear like, hear him out. Like, all right, Paul, like, tell us what it is that you are teaching. Part of it, as Luke says, is that they were all about hearing something new. They would spend all their time, is there something new, something I haven't heard yet, something I haven't engaged in? It was sort of like, um, you know, kind of a shelf of ideas. And, and is there something else that I can add to the shelf? Like, oh, you've got something, you know, and they would kind of just keep sort of adding all of it. And how does that kind of fit in with what we have 
here. And um, the, the place that all of this happened um, is uh, the Oropagus, where they, where they go to, is, uh, is known as um, Mars Hill. Um, it's uh, um, today, you can visit it today. Um, it's actually a, a, a giant rock there in um, Athens, and, and there would have been near the marketplace and all that. It was kind of this place where these ideas were exchanged. Um, about six years ago, uh, Bree and I had the opportunity to actually go to many of these locations that we're at in the book of Acts. And um, so we went to Athens, and here's a picture I took when I was uh, there. This is standing up on the Acropolis, where um, the three temples to the god of Athena is located, and this is looking down on it. So you can kind of see that rock sort of in the middle of the picture, um, uh, kind of below that little uh, sort of area of, of homes. Um, there's kind of that rock. So that is um, what is called or known as Mars Hill. So it would have been there that they went to that place and um, shared, uh, invited Paul to share these ideas. Just as a little bit of a different vantage point, um, if you come uh, here, this is um, standing on Mars Hill and looking up at the Acropolis. So I think it's really helpful to sort of get a picture of where Paul was as he was sharing this. He's literally in the shadow of these massive temples. Um, the uh, temple to uh, the god that we, um, we now pronounce it Nike, I think it was Niki, um, right, is, is up there. There's the, the Parthenon is up there. I mean, this is a prominent place of, of, of idol worship. And then all around, there are idols and temples and places. And what was happening with Paul in all of this is he was provoked when he saw the need around him. And what I want to do as we walk through the passage this morning is sort of um, bring before us uh, some questions that hopefully this will um, jog in our own hearts. See, some of you, maybe you're on the side where um, you need to hear the message that Paul was preaching um, this morning, and you need it for you. Uh, many of us, though, have heard this message before, and we need to see and hear how Paul then used that message with those around him. And the first question that I really think that this um, passage is asking of us, and you might want to write this down and kind of chew on it this week, is this. Are you provoked to action when you see the lostness around you? Are you provoked to action when you see the lostness around you? Again, it says, when Paul was waiting, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. So Paul couldn't wait another day, couldn't wait another hour. He had to get to work. And he was compelled by the Holy Spirit. And much in the same way that Jesus was, we see many times Jesus, it says, was brokenhearted um, when he looked and he saw the sheep without a shepherd. As he looked around, he had compassion on those around him, and he was. I wonder, uh, do we have that same provoking, that same compelling um, uh, draw inside of us when we look around and we see the lostness around us? Um, I want to kind of illustrate it this way. Yesterday, um, stopped by the uh, farmer's market just um, kind of briefly. Um, uh, we had some, um, uh, some new friends in, in from out of town. And so um, we stopped by and uh, said, well, we got to go by the square. We got to get some uh, cheese curds. Got to get some um, uh, spicy cheese bread, right? So we kind of like got there and started kind of walking. And um, we had just kind of gotten on the square. And I saw right in front of me uh, a wallet. 
And so I picked this up and inside this wallet was um, a driver's license, um, a passport card, a couple credit cards, like everything. And I was like, oh man, somebody is missing this for sure. Um, it was someone who was out of state, um, they were traveling and, um, and, uh, and, and so um, we proceeded to try and contact or find them, right? I was like, well, man, if I lost my wallet, I would really want someone to like try and get it to me. And so, um, of course, we went to like social media. We tried to find them on like Facebook or, you know, kind of looking up and we didn't, didn't find uh, them right away. And so um, then we pulled out, there was a couple of business cards in there, not of the person, but of like they had been collected. And so I called a couple random numbers just to see if the person happened to know that person and could I somehow get their number and call them and tell them that I had uh, their wallet. So to no avail, we did not, we weren't able to, to find it. So uh, kind of had to resort to the last, last, uh, last resort. We went by the, um, the official, I don't even know what they call themselves, like the, kind of the official farmer's market tent. And I was like, hey, what do I do with a wallet? I found a wallet. And they're like, oh, we get those all the time. We can take it. And we'll, um, if someone comes by and gets it, we'll get it to them or we'll hand it over to the Capitol Police. And I was like, great. But, but in that moment, there was this, this time when it was like, man, this, this person is at some point in time going to start freaking out. Like they, they are gonna need uh, this wallet um, and in the wrong hands, uh, someone could use these. And the, you know, if you've ever had um, you know, credit card stolen or someone use it, it's a, just a big hassle. Um, I think we can all relate to that. And so um, having, having um, that back in their possession was so important to the point that yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna look them up, we're gonna try and call, we're gonna do this. There was this, this compelling understanding of like, I want to get this back to the person that it belongs to. I was provoked to action. It would have been easy enough to just kind of walk by, right? Just leave it there. Oh, someone else will deal with it. Someone else can have it. You know, like, well, they should have been more careful or, you know, well, you know, sorry, sorry, sorry for them. But I knew, I knew that I had to do something to try and help uh, this person out. See, here's the thing is similarly, um, we need to be compelled to action, provoked to action when we look around and see the needs around us. And I wonder, are we? You know, one of the questions that we often get, um, our church is still um, a young church. It's a new church. Um, in, in church world, we call it a church plant. And uh, by all kind of metrics and standards, we're still in our church planting years. Um, we don't have many more years that we can claim that title, but we um, certainly are. We're, we're under five years old. And people often ask me, and maybe you've gotten this question as well, like, well, why another church in Madison? Especially when we were moving here. People are like, well, why'd you, why'd you move to Madison? Like, why another church um, here? And for Bree and I, and then for um, many of the people who were on and coming to our core group and involved in launching the church here, um, the most compelling reason and kind of the number one reason that we would give is, is because of the lostness of our city, of this city, of Madison, of the greater Madison area, of Dane County. That was the sole reason, the, the largest driving reason of why we moved here. And I just want to tell you that God did something in my heart and in Bree's heart that summer before we sought and we went into this residency to plant a church. I was standing there taking those pictures in Athens. There was two places that were kind of the most provoking and compelling for me. One was standing there on Mars Hill and seeing where Paul had preached this sermon that we're about to read in the shadow of the Acropolis and seeing all the need around him. The other place is Ephesus. 
Ephesus similarly had so many, and we're gonna come to Ephesus in a couple weeks, but there were so many um, idols and, 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 and foreign views and just the lostness there in Ephesus as well. Those two places, when I saw those with my own eyes and I saw the places that Paul went to and saw, I mean, you could just get a sense for the climate and the need. And, and this is before we had any clue where we were gonna end up or any place where we were gonna go. God did something in my heart that said, we want to be, we need to be in a place that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are lots of places that need the gospel, but we ask God, God, would you put us in a place that really needs the gospel? And, and, and one of the places that God put on our heart and the most kind of compelling place was here in Madison. I don't know if you know this, but um, uh, estimates are that more than 80% of our county, Dane County, is not engaged in an evangelical church. More than 50% would kind of fall in a category of unreached with the gospel of Jesus. They've never heard the full presentation, understanding of the good work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There are more than 550,000 people in our county, more than 50,000 college students here. And so when you think about the need around us, the lostness around us, there are people that are living without the hope of Jesus and trying to figure it out. And they're doing their own philosophies. There's all sorts of, you know, we can compare and, and kind of contrast some of the philosophies of the Epicureans or the Stoicism and, and sort of see, but there are people that are trying to figure out their own answer to the why question. And in just the last three years, I know of half a dozen churches right here in our city that have closed their doors. I don't know if you know this, but um, studies come out you know, occasionally, and on the last one that I saw, uh, Madison was ranked number 11 in the most post-Christian cities in the entire country. Did you know that? I don't know if you know what post-Christian is. Post-Christian is this understanding of um, that, that the gospel has come and, and uh, Jesus and, 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 and his teachings and followings have, have, have established themselves. Churches have been established, but people have moved on from it. And what you often see in post-Christian cultures, post-Christian cities, is this understanding where they want the kingdom without the king. They want the benefits of what God's kingdom would bring, but they've rejected God as king in that. And we could break that down and kind of get into the philosophy of all of it, but, but there's so much of that, right? Like where does human dignity come from if you don't hold to a personal creator? Like if we're just a bunch of cells sort of floating around, like why, why does human dignity matter? Isn't it survival of the fittest? Isn't that just part of what science is? Yet we hold to this, we, we want dignity for humans, Right? There's, there's wrong and there's right. Well, where do the morals come from? And we would say that, well, there's, there's you know, even that, some people would say, is kind of an evolutionary process that those who did good things and, and kind of acted in goodwill toward others did better and fared better than those who didn't. And so we kind of have this, this natural bent toward goodness in us. I don't know about you, but I don't really see that kind of taking place. I see the opposite. I see people out for themselves and, and kind of trying to get ahead and, and do it for, for themselves. If you take a creator God out of it, it's really hard to kind of get to this place. Yet that is what our city is. And so if you've ever thought, man, this is a really hard place to be bold about my faith, to speak honestly and openly about my convictions and, 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 and this, this book, the scriptures that we hold so dearly. If you've ever felt like it's, you live in a hard place, I just wanna like affirm that you do. This city is full of idols. This city is full of lostness. This city is in need of hope. People are looking for 
something. And that should compel us. It should provoke us to action. Paul, when he looked around, was provoked. And he couldn't help but preach. He began to share the hope of the gospel. And that's what we see next. Let me give you the point. I'll kind of show it in you. I put this under this, the category of, of um, he was provoked to action. Next, we see he was engaged in conversation. He began to engage in this conversation. And I love, we're, we're not gonna have time to unpack all of this and, and sort of really get into it, but it's such a um, fascinating study to see the way that he engages in this conversation. But verse 22, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And uh, that's actually a slight dig. It has like a double meaning um, there's one that is uh, religious and the other is sort of like, you know, um, kind of wasting time or sort of, you know, vain in, in their thinking. And so they're probably hearing it and like, yes, we are, you know, and he's like, oh. you know, so there's a little bit, Paul's, Paul's a little crafty in there. So I, 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 in every way, you are very religious for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Let's just pause there for a second. Um, Paul is doing something very different than we've seen him so far in the book of Acts. Um, There's only one other place that we've seen him do this. I think it was in Lydia. Um, But here, um, there is uh, this, instead of starting with scripture, like if he was to kind of come and says, you know, God's word says, or let me read to you from the book of Isaiah, that would have meant nothing to them. And so instead of doing that, what he did is he looked around and he saw, how can I start this conversation? What would be a starting place? And they had many, many idols everywhere. Everywhere he looked, there's idols, statues, inscriptions, temples, all of it. Well, in his walking through all of it, he noticed there was an idol too, an unknown God. So I think the understanding is that maybe someone was just kind of um, you know, wanted to make sure that, that they had all these idols and all these gods. I mean, we could get into all of the different gods that they had. There was the God of fertility and there's the God of, of, of agriculture and there's the God of rain and there's the God of prosperity and I mean, the, the God of athleticism and, and, and all of this. There's all these gods, but just in case one was missed, they had a statue and an inscription to the unknown God. And the idea is that, yeah, maybe, maybe we missed one and, and this is it. And so Paul uses that as his starting place. He's like, I saw that you worship an unknown God. Well, I have really good news for you today. I know the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Again, remember, they're looking around. They see these temples everywhere. He's like, who is this God that you need to make him a house, right? How great is your God that he can't even like find a home for himself? He needs man uh, to, to, to make his house. He's like, this God I'm telling you about, he doesn't live in a house made by men. He actually made everything. Everything flowed from him. You see, again, there was a lot of compartmentalism between these gods. There was, if you wanted to go to uh, one god uh, for one thing, you had to go to another god for another thing. And he's like, enough with all that. He's like, I know the God who's over it all. He created everything. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives it to all mankind and breath and everything. He's like, this God I'm talking about doesn't need your sacrifices to 
exists. You don't have to bring the grain. You don't have to bring the meat. It's all, all these things are not needed by him to exist and feel good about himself. He needs nothing from human hands. Verse 26, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Let me pause there again. They believe that they're the Athenians were kind of descended from a different um, sort of place, that there was this seed or a God had kind of directed in that. And so the Athenians held this belief that they were better than everybody else. They were like a different class of human beings. And he's like, no, no, everyone flows from and comes from the same man. They descended from one man. Every nation of mankind came from one man. That they should seek God, verse 27, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of you, your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Um, pop quiz, uh, verse 28. Does anyone know what verse, um, what chapter and verse that quote comes from? In him we live and move and have our being. Everyone's looking at their notes looking at the little thing, trying to figure it out. It was a trick question, actually. It doesn't come from Scripture. He's quoting their Greek philosophers. This was often accredited to Zeus, but there's kind of others. This sort of from the gods, we live and move and have our being. See, he's quoting something that they would have known. And what he's doing is he's saying, listen, you think that it's from this or you think that it's from that. I want to tell you where it's really from. It's from the creator God who made everything and is over everything. And he is not that far off. You can actually find him. In him, we, move, we live and move and have our being. Then he quotes a poet. It's like, you know, quoting some writer or author or rapper or something today, right? For indeed, we are his offspring. And he's using this to connect with them and be able to point them to the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. Paul is engaging in conversation in a really, really strategic and smart way. And in a very loving way, he's doing it in such a way that they could hear and understand the message. And I think that is the second question that we need to ask ourselves. The first was, are we provoked to action? The second is, are we looking for a starting place to engage in a gospel conversation? Are we looking? Are we on the lookout? Paul saw, and he made note of it. When he saw that statue, he's like, that, I can use that. I can talk about that. That would be a great place to start as I talk about this. So he found that common place to begin. He didn't begin with Jewish history. He didn't begin with Jewish scriptures. He began with this inscription and then used some of their own writing and their own authors to point to the truth that is found and given about Jesus Christ. And he's gonna get here shortly into the resurrection, but he engaged in this conversation. And again, I just wonder for us, are we looking around? Are we trying to find that place that we can begin and engage in a gospel conversation? I think so many uh, Christians today think that the way um, that you reach someone is you argue them into the kingdom of God, that you debate them into it. You kind of, you, if you can just disprove enough of their points and kind of prove enough of yours that eventually they'll kind of wear them down and they'll be convinced and I just don't know of many people who have been argued into the kingdom of God. I don't think we need to do that. One of the things that we said from the very beginning of the church was we are not going to set out in this county with so many different views, right? I think in a similar way, there are so many different idols. 
um, you know, uh, different uh, theologians have said um, that if you want to see and understand what's the most important thing in a city, look to the highest and tallest buildings. Well, that's very easy around here, right? What's the tallest building around here? It's the state capitol. <laughs> Nothing's allowed to be built above it. And then you look at what comes next. Well, we have education, we have um, some business, and we have some healthcare, right? I think that would be, um, certainly healthcare has the the widest buildings around, right? Uh, maybe not the tallest, but and the most creative. We, would, we could say that, right? Um, but uh, there is an emphasis around these things. These are the idols of our time and of our day. These are the things that people are putting their hope and their trust in. And so we need to be creative in the way that we're finding this common place to start. And so I don't think that you all need to go out this week and find someone that you're gonna debate and argue with and start some um, a difficult conversation with. I think what you need to do this week is you need to look for people that have been broken down and hurt by just life and need the hope of the gospel. You know, sometimes what happens is uh, uh, life drops a boulder on you. And maybe you can kind of look at, and you know that that was maybe the thing that brought you to a place of understanding of Jesus. You, you're, you were going along, life was seemingly okay, and then boom, boulder. And now... You need something else. Like all of your systems, all of your philosophies, all of the ways that you're trying to answer questions was not working and you need something different. And so you turned to Jesus and you found then in Jesus the hope that you were looking for. Some of you, that is your story. There are many other people. So we often said at the early days, and we haven't said it for a while, I just wanna remind us again, what we need to do is we need to just be looking for people that are under boulders and share with them the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was doing. He was looking and he found people that were searching for hope and he was willing and able to share with them that. We talk about life ripening people to a place to be able to hear the truth of the gospel. Some of you, again, that is your story. Years ago, you were so anti anything that had to do with this book. You were so anti anything that had to do with Jesus Christ. And life ripened you, situations, circumstances, changed your thinking to the place that you said, you know what, maybe there is something to that. We need to be on the lookout and recognize and understand the people that are around us and in need of the hope of the gospel and be willing to engage them where they're at and share with them. And I'm just telling you, so your, your, your pastor said it, so you can do it, okay? Um, you do not have to, the very first conversation, like pull out the Bible and share scripture. Now you can scare, share biblical truths, you can even quote scripture, but I would encourage you for many people, if you just say, well, the Bible says, and then kind of go into that, they're shutting down. They just have no reference. It means nothing to them. Like, yeah, well, I've got a book on my shelf that says this. It's just, it doesn't really mean anything to them. And so I would encourage you that. And maybe you're here and you're skeptical and you're still in that place. I would just tell you, listen, this comes from a place of hope. We're not trying to win any contest or win any argument or convince anybody of anything just for the sake of argument. It comes from a place of care and love and it comes from a place of personal life change. And we can attest to the hope that is found in Jesus. I can personally share the hope that Jesus has brought to my life and the direction that his word has given to my life and to my home and to my family and to my years and in the future that I have, there is security in that and it's found and rooted in 
Jesus Christ. And so we engage in conversation in that way. I'll tell you, I once worked with this guy who was, and I think I may have shared about him before, but um, I did a lot of construction in college, and this guy was one of the hardest individuals that I've ever known. And um, his um, dad passed away, and he completely changed. All of a sudden, the conversations that he was unwilling to engage in, suddenly he was asking me questions. And he wanted to know a little bit more about what I believed. It was the situations, the circumstances of life that can change our outlook and understanding on these things. And we gotta be willing to engage in conversation, willing to give defense for the hope that we hold to. And that's what Paul was doing. And here's the third thing is that we see that he had confidence in the resurrection. There was confidence that was held in the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, It's like, it's not just a statue. God is so much more than that. He's not an image formed by the art and imagination of man. I mean, how limited are we in our creativity and what we can do? It's like, God's not in our box. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere. No one's exempt, right? Who's included in all people everywhere? Everybody. He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and he has given this assurance by, to all by raising him from the dead. He says, because Jesus is alive, everything changes. There's a day of judgment coming, but you need not face it alone. You can face it, not on your merits, but on the merits of somebody who lived perfectly and died undeservingly for you. He's pointing to Jesus Christ and that he is alive. And I just want to simply ask you the question this. This is the question I would encourage you to weigh through this week is are you confident in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus? If Jesus is alive, what changes as a result of that? Do you believe that this is a story in a book or do you believe that he's a man who lived and who died, the son of God? There's confidence in the power of God that's seen in the resurrection. I want to get to the last one, and we're going to kind of look at these together. But we see that there was then this call to trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. What happened in verse 32? Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. So this kind of set off a bit of a firestorm. So they kind of like lost at that point. They're like, wait a second, you're telling somebody died and then came back to life? So some mocked. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course he did. But others said, we will hear you again about this. They understood. They were, their hearts were pricked. They, they wanted to know more about this Jesus. And so Paul went out from their midst, and we see that some men joined, some believed, among whom, and we get a couple names, this Diocinus and um, the um, Arapagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. There was many that believed there in Athens that day as a result of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was calling them to put their faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And that's the question I would end for us today is are you putting your faith in anything other than Jesus Christ? You see what he was calling into question, he says, hey, that statue that you just bowed down to today, that idol that you've been worshiping, that temple that you've just gone to, is that really the thing that you're resting everything on? You know, put your faith in, a good definition for that is to put your full weight on something. And so are you putting your full weight in something that's going to withstand the weight that you're putting on it? 
And he's calling them, and we still preach the same message today. I'm calling you to put your full trust and your full weight in Jesus Christ. You know, I recently heard the story, um, I've heard it many times before, but um, such a, a compelling um, person and, and, and uh, I think a challenge for the church was um, Elizabeth Elliot. And some of you know the story of Elizabeth Elliot, her husband, uh, Jim Elliot, along with um, four others, um, were sharing um, the gospel in an unreached group um, had never heard before and they were attacked um, and killed. Uh, they died uh, um, by being speared uh, to death. And um, the night before, they were in the place together as they were getting ready to go and to share with this, this group that they had been working so diligently and trying to kind of you know, figure out how and get the inroads and kind of you know, figure this out. And they were, they were together and they were worshiping. They were singing of their confidence and the hope that's found in Jesus. And the next day, their life was taken from them, the very people they were trying to point to Jesus. And Elizabeth Elliot, as she would share this story, she would often ask, she said, if that happened to you, if you were in that place, and that's your husband, and that's you in that situation, when that situation happens, what does that do to your faith? When I heard that question, I was so convicted and challenged by it because I think for many of us, we'd like to think, well, it doesn't do anything. But for many of us, it's like, well, I question it. Like, what, what does that mean? Why, why would he do that? Like, and what that reveals for us is our faith is not ultimately in the sovereign, loving, all-powerful God of the universe. Our faith is ultimately in some kind of modified version of it. Because if your faith is truly and fully in Jesus, when that situation happens, nothing changes about your faith, right? God is still the same. He is still just as in control. And so it calls into question, like, well, what is our faith ultimately in? And the question that Paul was asking and kind of putting before them is, listen, are you putting your faith in something that's going to withstand and that's going to hold up under the weight when it's put upon it? And I just want to tell you this morning, that when you put your faith fully in Jesus Christ, you don't need to search out the other philosophies. You don't need to kind of, you can. They're going to stand up. Like this, this stuff, will, it, it, it will stand the test of your faith, but you can rest fully and confidently in the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he has done. And that's what we're calling people to here in this place. We're saying, look, not to any other idol, not to any other worldview, not to any other philosophy, but trust in the God who made us, the God who is over the universe, the God who is intimately involved in your situation right now. And I just want to tell you, whatever it is that you are walking through today, you can trust that God is working in and through that. We have some really, really hard situations right now in our church. There's situations around us all the time. I read a stat, I think it was this morning or yesterday, that, uh, um, I think it was just a survey of men, so I'm, you know, just, I was just the study that kind of stood out for me. It said that six, um, or no, the average kind of response of how are you doing on a scale of six to ten, or uh, one to ten, the average response was six, and for um, closer to age 18, it was more like five. And that three times a week, men were reporting just feeling down. I'm sure it's very similar for women. But the study I was, I mean, there is so much that we are facing. And I just want to tell you that there is hope, there's trust. There's hope that is found when you put your trust, your faith in Jesus. Not just for salvation, but for all of life, everything. He stands above any other philosophy. What I'm going to do is 
I'm actually going to invite the band to come on up now. And we're going to move here in a minute into communion. And as we do that today, um, we have, like we did on Good Friday, we have the tables up in front here. And um, what I want to encourage you to do is, uh, in just a minute, um, you can come forward and receive communion. And in it, you'll find a bread and a, a cup. And this represents the work of Jesus on the cross. This is where our faith and trust is rooted and held. And what I would encourage you to do is as you hold that cup in your hand today, before you take it, would you take just a minute and think about and remember all that Jesus did to come after us. I mean, Paul was provoked because Jesus was provoked. Jesus came down from heaven chasing after us, chasing after you, chasing after me. And he did that work. And then would our mind quickly go to those who need to hear and understand the same hope that is represented by this cup that we have? Who is it around us that needs to hear the hope of saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Who needs that faith? And would we pray for them in this moment? And so as we do this, would we just remember, I mean, this is why God gave us this, Jesus gave us this, it's a picture of what he's done on the cross and his work for us. So again, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited to partake of communion today. And so I'm gonna pray after I do, you're invited to just come forward as the band plays, take it back to your seat. And then when you're ready, you can just take it there on your own right there in the seat. And then we're gonna declare this truth together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your sacrifice. God, of your son. Lord, you died so that we could know life and life eternal. God, I pray that you would help us stir in us a compelling desire for others. Lord, that you would establish that in our hearts. God, thank you for the work that you've done on us. God, this, this cup represents where our faith is rooted. God, your body, your blood given for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. And we declare that our faith is in no one else, no other system, no other strategy, nothing of our own, but Lord, solely on you. We declare that truth here in this place. We worship you. We love you. Amen.